Testament was by James Walton in 1874. The scripture reference for the hymn is Jude 3, which says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to earnestly contend for the faith that once for all entrusted to the saints. Let's stand together as we sing Faith of Our Fathers. Faith of our fathers living still In spite of dungeon, fire, and sword Oh, how our hearts beat high with joy Whenever we hear that glorious word Faith of our fathers holy we will be true to thee till death faith of our fathers we will strive to win all nations on to thee and through the truth that comes from god we all shall then be truly free faith of our father's holy faith we will be true to thee till death faith of our fathers we will love both friend and foe and all our strife and preach thee to as love knows how by kindly words and virtuous love faith of our father's holy faith we will be true to thee till death you may be seated Good morning. Happy Father's Day. We're so blessed to have a Father in Heaven that loves us and forgives us every day, not just one day. Do you notice that we just get the one day and all these other groups get like a whole month and stuff? Is that... Anyway, please join me in this morning's prayer confession. Heavenly Father, Lord of the universe, we come to you realizing you have called us here for a special purpose. But sometimes we become overwhelmed by the magnitude of the task. Forgive us when we let fear and timidity hold us back from sharing the great blessing of salvation you have given us. We admit the times we have given into despair and discouragement and lost our courage in sharing your love. We admit our insecurities about how much we know and fear saying the wrong thing about you. Oh God, take away our fears and doubts and give us a spirit of boldness that fearlessly and comfortably talks about our relationship with you. Give us eyes to see your glory as you advance your kingdom through us. In Jesus Christ our Lord we pray, amen. Our assurance of forgiveness this morning is from Psalm 103, verses 11 through 13. 
For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Guidelines for living this morning is from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Let's continue in our worship. Let's stand together as we sing every praise. Every praise to our God, every word of worship with one accord. Every praise, every praise is to our God. Sing hallelujah to our God, glory hallelujah is to our God. Every praise, every praise is to our God. Every praise is to our God, every word of worship with one accord. Every praise, every praise is to our God. Sing hallelujah to our God, glory hallelujah is to our God. Every praise, every praise is to our God. God, my Savior, God, my healer, God, my deliverer, yes, He is, yes, He is, yes, He is, yes, He is. is. Every praise is to our God, every word of worship with one accord, every praise. Every praise is to our God. Sing hallelujah to our God. Glory hallelujah is to our God. Every praise, every praise is to our God. God, my Savior, God, my healer. God, my deliverer, yes, he is, yes, he is, yes, he is, yes, he is. is. Every praise is to our God, every word of worship with one accord. Every praise, every praise, every praise, every praise, every praise. Every praise is to our God. I heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. I heard the 
tender whispers of love in the dead of night and you tell me that you're pleased and that i'm never alone you're a good good father who you are is who you are it's who you are and i'm loved by you it's who i am it's who i am it's who i am i've seen many searching for answers far and wide but i know we're all searching for answers only you provide because you know just what we need before we say a word who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. Because you're perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to you are perfect in all of your ways you are perfect in all of your ways you are perfect in all of your ways to us oh it's love so undeniable i can hardly speak Peace so unexplainable, I, I can hardly think as you call me deeper still, as you call me deeper still, as you call me deeper still into love, 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 your good, good Father, who you are. It's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. You may be seated. Steve, would you read for us? This Is My Father's World was written by Isaac Watts in 1715. It was set to a traditional English melody and arranged by Rayfon Williams in 1906. The scriptural basis for this hymn is Psalm 95, 6, and 7. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture. Heavenly Father, that is so true of what you say. We're the people of your pasture, the sheep of your hand. And how well you've provided for us. You've provided for us in many ways that we shall not even want. I thank you, God, for this time together and for our time to worship you and for the blessings you provided for us. Please accept these gifts for your glory and to be done in your honor for ministry and the progression of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.
This is my Father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature sings and roundly rings the music of the spheres. This is my Father's world, I rest in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas, His hand the wondrous thorn. This is my Father's world, the birds their carol sings, the morning light, the lily white, declare their Maker's praise. This is my Father's world, He shines me in this fair. In the rustling grass I will hear Him fast, He speaks to me everywhere. This is my Father's world, Oh, let me ne'er forget. The thought the wrong seems all so strong, yet is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world, why should my heart be sad? The Lord is King, let the heavens ring, God reigns, let earth be glad.
need your help. We need your strength. We need your guidance. And I pray for our fathers, especially who walk in your ways and show that in their families and to their families and to the people around them that truly like to reflect the Father of Heaven. Father, now open up our hearts to hear from your word. And just, Lord, help us, Lord, to see what we need to see today, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> How many times have you gone to Walmart? Or maybe you even came home. And there was a big box on your front porch. And it says, assembly required. And for some of us, we open that box up and all those parts, and you usually have a bag full of parts with instructions. And some of us will glance at the instructions and say, I know how to do this. And then we start working on it, and we think we've got it done, but the picture on the box with the six kids standing on it, and we kind of jiggle what we've done, and I don't think my 20-year-old, my 20-pound granddaughter can stand on it alone safely. And furthermore, that bag of extra parts is half full still. That happens to us, and I'm grateful in my own personal walk that I have a son, two sons, and a son-in-law who are very mechanical, who will come, and I'm hoping that their grandmother's looking at me that they have free time to come and fix what I've done. Well, sometimes that's what happens to many Christians, young Christians especially, and us who've been around, Sometimes we forget to use the instruction book. And what happens, they come to know Christ and they're all excited, and, but they begin to not spend time in the Word and then they wonder why they're confused. Life seems so complicated. They start making decisions that are not pleasing in the Lord's life and they begin to drift. And they feel themselves sometimes even succumbing to the world's way or their own children start succumbing to the world's way and they haven't taken the time to spend in the instruction book. And today Jesus speaks to us about the instruction book. He wants us to see, and if you remember, he's talking to his disciples. We are discussing here the Sermon on the Mount. We're going through what Jesus has talked about. We know that Jesus was baptized and was declared the Son of God. And then he went for temptation for 40 days in the wilderness. And we have three examples of what he went through. And then right after that, he gets with his disciples and they come to this mount. And Augustine called it the Sermon on the Mount. But basically, the Sermon on the Mount was really discipleship. Is this working? No? How about that now? This should be on one of those. It's not. It's not? I think it's on the other. No, it's channel two. All right. There it is. There it is. Is that it? No. Nope. Thank you. A <laughs> well, I 
I can cut this out. No. <laughs> Sorry. So anyway, what Jesus does then, he pulls his disciples, and that's what he's doing. He's discipling them and talking to them. And uh, if you noticed, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, Jesus talks first at the third person, where he said, blessed are the spiritually poor. And basically, he's talking about spiritual poverty. He says, blessed are the poor, for they shall be comforted. And what he's talking about there is that understanding our poverty without God and Christ. And that we mourn over sin. That's what he's talking about in that passage. And then he says, blessed are those who are meek. All well, the third person, the meek, are willing to accept what God has to say to them. And he says to them, blessed are you because we're going to be persecuted because Jesus is teaching a whole different lifestyle. John Stott called his commentary counter-Christianity because we are so different than the world. We don't power up and try to demand our ways. We're meek. Not weak, but meek. We're gentle. And so he says it all in the third person, reminding us of who we are as disciples and his disciples that are sitting there. Then he turns, and last week, if you remember, we discussed, and Jesus spoke in the second person. And he said to you, he spoke to the disciples, he spoke to us as Jesus' disciples. You are the salt of the earth. And if you remember, he was saying, you are the preservative. They didn't have refrigerators there, and they would rub the meat and get the moisture out through the salt so that it would not mold or decay. And he said, you, Christian, are to be in society and prevent it from decaying, from molding. And you are the ones who are the preventatives of society from destroying itself. Our early fathers of this nation understood that. And they framed the Constitution and they understood the three parts of government that came out of Malachi. And why did they make three parts of government? Because they knew man was sinful. And that we needed three branches of government to keep each branch of the government from overstepping its power. And that's why it was made. Because they knew men were sinful. And that Jesus said, you're the salt. That's what they were doing. And that they were the light. They exposed what was going on in the darkness. We're the light. We're to expose people to the darkness that they're living in. To expose them to Jesus Christ. That's what we are. We're the light. And he says all this in the second person. And that is Martin Luther King. The activist who was a pastor. He said it right. He said the church is the conscience of this nation. That's what we are. The body of Christ. But then today, now he turns and says very authoritatively, even putting himself on the level with scripture. I say to you, or I tell you. And in this paragraph, he's going to define to us in the next teaching all throughout from chapter 5 through chapter 7. He's going to teach us about the righteousness that God is looking for in his disciples. Now, many people, Christians, I found they commit the heresy of Marcionism. Because oftentimes they look at the Old Testament as bad, 
and the New Testament as good, that the law is bad and it's demeaning, and that grace in Christ is good and wonderful, but they misunderstand the Bible. They see that the Old Testament is a burden and it's wrong. That's not true. In fact, the heresy Marcionism in 144 didn't want to put the Old Testament in the Bible. But the church knew that it belonged in the Bible and it was God's word. And that the law is, Jesus saw it very necessary. We're going to see that today. Because you see, the law of Moses and the law of God is the law of God. In fact, the Bible, if you know anything about the Bible, and you read through the Bible in the Old Testament, you see that the Bible says in, in a great chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, a hundred and some verses. But David sees tremendous amount of wonderful blessing that the law of God has for us. It makes us wise. It helps us to see clearly the way ahead. That it makes us successful. It's words that are treasured to feed us every day. That it's the laws of righteousness are there so that we can please God and enjoy our relationship with him. And it's a delight, he says. People miss that. And it says in Psalm 1 that we are, the Bible is like, as we meditate on it, it's like a tree. That can withstand all kinds of storms because it's fed by the river of water of meditation on it. And it makes us strong and to not go the way of fallen man. See, that's the Bible and that's the way God sees it. And when that is misunderstood and misused, of course it's terrible. In fact, there's different ways in which people look at it. Christians look at it. For instance, there's legalism. To them, their faith is legalism in the works that they do. I know many Christian people who've gone to church. They've heard the gospel, and yet they still believe that they're going to be saved by their works. By following the commandments. And they misunderstand by it. There's others who see license. They see that, you know, they're saved by Jesus Christ and they don't have to follow and that Christ will forgive them no matter what they do. This is why mega churches have experienced. We've had one in town that did a survey. They had over a hundred couples who believed that they were born again and saved and yet were living together outside of marriage. They were using the license of the gospel, misusing it and misunderstanding. And then there are those who truly understand by the liberty that we have in faith that because we love Jesus and our hearts are filled with joy for Jesus, that our desire is to do what the Bible says and to live by what God says because we know that provides life and all that the psalmist tells us and how beautiful the law is we realize that and it fills us with joy when we do it and we know that God has already forgiven us and we've got a place in heaven but it fills us with this sense of worth 
business fulfillment. And that we realize that we need to come to the Lord in confession. In fact, one of the things that's so important in your daily devotions is ask the question that David says. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there's any wicked way. Show it to me. So we can confess it and look in the scriptures to see how we can turn around and do something different and repent from it. And then we can live in life. Because the Bible shows us how then to do the right things. And that we submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so today, here we are. And what we have with the Old Testament, and Jesus knew this. Number one, the foundation of all doctrines is found in the Old Testament. Because you see, everything we do that's good is a reflection of the goodness of God. And the foundation doctrine for all that we do that is good is founded in the fatherhood of God. And that we understand his world. And we want to reflect his image in the world. So therefore we're just. We seek for the truth. We don't send gossip out. But we rejoice in the truth. We share honestly. That's all God's perfect beauty and purity. That we see that the Bible authenticates what we believe in. The Old Testament. All those prophecies tell us about Jesus and how it all comes true and we know that it's true. And we see it in the scriptures that were talked hundreds of years before. And that we also know the principles, the ethical precepts of our society and way we live. And it keeps us from destroying ourselves that many people in our day are doing. And so Jesus comes to us today in this next disciple lesson, and he says to us, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until the heaven and earth passes away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. But Jesus says some powerful things here. Number one, he talks about not abolishing the law. You know, when, when leaders come, and we're seeing that today in our society, they try to jeopardize the moral fabric of the society. They change it. We are seeing that right now in our culture. There are people who believe they know more than God, even though we've been on the Judeo-Christian heritage for 250, 300 years. They believe they know better. And what they're doing is, though, they're trying to pull out our society the moral fabric of the society. This extremely enhances the ability for it to collapse so they can take over and bring their answers. And so this is what's going on with this, what they call is the reset. And there are people behind it who are intellects who are trying to reframe our society. And they can also bring in a new currency. But Jesus doesn't do that here. People are thinking he's going to change. He said, no. He says, I've not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. Bring it to its fullest content. 
the pleroma in the Greek. And what he's saying is, I wanted to have it the fullest extent. And what we see is that he's going to change radically his world by making us and those who follow the Bible, who follow Jesus, moving it up to a whole new level, greater than we ever have heard it before. And he enhances what God has said about his law. The word abolished there that he uses in the Greek is the word that he used about the temple being destroyed. He doesn't. What he wants to is to fulfill, and he does, not only by coming and dying on the cross and being the sacrifice for us, but also to his pleroma, he shows us how he fills it in. And he does it. You know, in the Old Testament, they had dietary laws. They had civil law. They had ceremonial law and moral law. And what Jesus does, the ceremonial law that they used to have to come in, if he hadn't done away with it, we would have a sacrifice here right now on Sunday morning and be burning, and I would be sacrificing for your sins. But that was done away with. Because when Jesus died and he said his last words on the cross, the curtain in the temple where they sacrificed was split in half and opened wide because he fulfilled. No longer did priests have to do it year after year to make atonement. Our atonement has been completed. And we're full now in Jesus Christ. And so all those ceremonial laws no longer need to be fulfilled. Otherwise, each one of us would be sinning right now. The fabric that we have in the Old Testament, it says, if you have fabric mixed with different colors, you're committing to sin. We're not. Some of you may go out and to a, a, a seafood place and eat certain fish. Well, in the Old Testament, that was not allowed, but that was all done away with, with Christ coming and, for, and, and, and raising from the dead. That was no longer necessary. In fact, Jesus fulfilled that. And Jesus is saying, I've completed the law. Something that you and I could never do. We could never do all the law perfectly and we would die and go to hell because of who we are. Even if we tried our best like the Pharisees, we couldn't. We'd sin. But because Jesus did, he was the perfect sacrifice. He fulfilled all that is necessary for us and for our salvation. And that the law that we do follow of the Old Testament is the moral law. That doesn't change. And Jesus makes that very clear in this passage. And what he says to us, here's the key. He says to us, not a jot, or not an iota, not a dot, a change of it. And here, what Jesus is saying, the iota, or the jot, that's what the, the, old, the, um, the King James calls it a jot, and in this, this is the English version, they use it an iota, but it's the same thing. And what he's saying here that the smallest letter 
in the Hebrew. And that's what this word is. And the word in, in the Hebrew that I have here is Elohim. And that's the word for God. And the little jot there that looks like a seven, that is the smallest letter in the Hebrew Bible. 66,000 of them in the Old Testament. And Jesus said not a jot, not one of those is out of place. And that he also says the tittle. And if you notice where it says tittle, there are two letters that look very similar. The one with the open spate is a hay. And that's the fifth letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And the letter that has closed, that is a shade. And that's the eighth letter in the alphabet of the Hebrew. And Jesus says, not even one of those is missing. He says, and that not a iota or jot or a tittle will pass away from the law until it is all accomplished. And Jesus is saying, this stuff is going to last to the end of time. Because it is a reflection of who God is and it will always be. And Jesus says, it doesn't turn away. And he says, this is what the word of God is. And that it doesn't change. The thing that does change when Jesus comes is a fulfillment of Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel. Where Jesus says back in the Old Testament hundreds of years that our hearts now will have God's law written on our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Because of Jesus Christ in our hearts. And that we do follow the law. Not because we have to. Not to earn some way to God. But rather. Because God. Is in our hearts and we desire what he wants now. And so. All that the law has said. Is not passed away. In fact. What the law does is explains to us what we are, which we're sinners. It exposes the sin in our life. That's what the law was for. And to also to help us to avoid sin. But it couldn't fix our hearts. And that's what he's saying here. You know, we have a guy that's uh, Everett's just had a scan done on his lungs. And like most of us, when we find that there's something going on, the first thing they'll do is an x-ray, and then the next thing is a scan. And that scan will show them more clearly what's going on in our bodies. Well, that's what the law is to do. It shows us what's going on and what's wrong inside of us. But it can't fix it. It only exposes it. It can't cure it. And the only thing that cures it is Jesus Christ, the physician, who comes along with the scalpel and yanks it out of our lives and fills us with the Holy Spirit. And until the day we die, we're battling with this old self, but we also know our heart's desire to do what God wants, as Paul speaks about in Romans 8 and 7. 
The very things we want to do, sometimes we don't do. And there's a battle in our hearts between the Spirit of God and our sinful self. And on the day we die, it's that old sinful self is rooted out and totally gone. And we're his forever. And what Jesus is saying, the law is enduring. It doesn't change. And for the Christian, it's more important because we really want to honor it. We're not doing it to check off a list to try to please God. He's already pleased with us if we've accepted him and our lives have been forgiven. And that we live our lives now because we want to be thankful for what he's done for us. And so Jesus comes to us and speaks to us and he says, the law is very important and it it lasts for eternity. And furthermore, the law should not be relaxed. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does them teaches them to be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You see, that's the beauty that when we come to know Christ and we teach the word of God and we show the word of God to our children and we show the word of God to our friends, And that we know it's true. Powerful. And Jesus says to us, you're going to be great in the kingdom when you talk about these things. But if you start taking away from it, you're in trouble. Some do. A friend that went to an outback steakhouse near his home. And as you walk in the door, it says, no rules just right. That's what our society is. They don't want any rules. They just want to be enjoying and have their rights. The problem is, and this is what's going on in our society today, we have a group of people who are now changing the rules. The question is, who makes the rules? God's the only one who has the right to make the rules. Because without rules... Things are a mess. If that sign was true at Texas Roadhouse or at Outback, can you imagine the waitress comes out and as she turns the corner, your steak goes off the plate and falls on the ground. She immediately jumps down and picks it up. Three second rule. Here you go. How many of us would eat that steak? No rules. Fine. And then when she comes with the tab, she said, you know, my friends and I made up a new rule in the back there. Not 20% for the waitress. 38%. (laughs) Making up the rules. You see, this is the world wants to do. Say, no, there are no rules. That's not true. There are people making the rules. But they're making them for what they want. Imagine if a guy comes in here and says, you know, it's okay that my God tells me that I can be whatever I want to be. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you're either male or female. 
Because it's God that does the rules. Not man. People have to understand that. That he's the one who makes the rules. Oh, there are a lot of people who think they know what's the rules. They think they know what's good for mankind. But Jesus says here, the rules are made by heaven. And then if you break them, even if you think that, well, the Bible really doesn't say that when it does. Jesus says, you're going to be beast. And we find that Jesus is telling us it's very important that the rules guide them. Not focus groups. Well, we don't think we're even our Supreme Court. They don't make the rules. God makes the rules. And when we get off of we are going to see collapse like we've never seen it before. And we're seeing that. We're seeing that in education. We're seeing that in government. We're seeing it collapsing because God's rules are being pushed out. And the word of God that was respected by our early country's fathers by the apostles in the church are not respected today. Paul talks about that into the Thessalonians because he had the same problem in his day. People wanted to make up their God that agreed with their style of life and not what God wanted. Look what he's telling them. And we also thank God constantly for this. That when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in all believers. And what Paul is telling us and what Jesus is saying is that your view of the Bible and how it got here is so critical to respecting it and honoring it and obeying it. And the Bible, on the right-hand side, or on the left-hand side here, we see the Bible says that God spoke down into the hearts of the men of Scripture who wrote our Scripture. And they wrote it out, inspired by God, but using their own personalities and their situations so that we could know what God wants. And what we see in our society, and basically really back even in Paul's day, but especially in the 19th century when rationalism was taking over the country and over the world and in the theological sessions and awful philosophical sessions, what happened was man became the dominant and that the Bible was man's ideas about what they thought about the little G, the little God, 
who might be in heaven may not be. And that's why when you read something or you hear denominations are leaving, and certain parts of the denomination are agreeing to not agree with Scripture and trying to define it by another way so that they can get around. They don't believe that God inspired the Word. They believe that man wrote the Word about God, but this is man's ideas. That's why they can play with those words. And Paul is saying, and Jesus is saying, that's not the way it is. Number one, you don't play with the Word of God. Because it's eternal. Not a jot and tittle are going to be changed. And the word of God is our strength. When the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us with the word of God, it changes it and deepens our faith. Makes us stronger. When man takes the Bible, the word of God, and dices it up to make it palatable for their feelings man is in trouble and so that's why Jesus tells us that tells his disciples that the word of God is very critically important to life it is to be held in the highest regard and held to and believed and walked in because he says I tell you Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying it's greater than the superficiality of the Pharisees. Do you see what the Pharisees did? Is they took the Ten Commandments and they elaborated on in the Talmud. They made huge, many ideas about the Word of God. Made it the burden that many people think. And, 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 and Jesus is saying, he's not saying to us, look, the Talmud has 640 laws. Now a good rabbi and scribe may only be able to make 630, but you've got to make 640. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that's superficial. Checking off your list. He's saying it's your heart. And the faith that I give you, that you trust me and you will follow God's way in your heart and in your conscience because you trust me. And it's founded in my character that you forgive as I forgive. That you love as I love. That you speak good and not evil. Because that's the way I am. And that we don't neglect the word. But that we see the word as the most important thing next to our relationship with God. Because it's what the Holy Spirit uses to help us. Grow in a deeper and richer love for God. And builds the joy in our hearts to make it through any possibility that 
Because you see, Jesus is talking about an inward righteousness that the Lord looks for in our hearts. And I've used this illustration before, but I think it really helps us understand what Jesus is talking about here. There was a young woman who met a guy. They fell in love. They got married. She would do anything for him. What she didn't realize about him, that he was very rigid. And he was very demanding. One of those things that you get married and you go, uh-oh, I didn't bargain on this. She was faithful. She loved him. But what happened when they got home from their honeymoon shop. He was working. She was not. And when they got home the next morning at breakfast, he presented her with a list of all the things he wanted her to have her do during the day while he was gone. And so she took the list and because she loved them, she did them. But then the next morning, there was another list. And then the next day, another list. This went on for several years. And one day, it so happened that he was killed at work. And she felt very sad. But in her sadness, she felt a relief. <laughs> because it seemed that there were times that she could never satisfy fully what he wanted. Well, about a year and a half after that death, she wound up meeting another man. And they fell in love. And they got married. They went on their honeymoon, and when they got back, they had breakfast that morning, but there was no list. And she didn't say anything. And every morning, the same thing happened. There was no list, but a kiss, and I'll see you later, after breakfast. And one day, she got into her chest of drawers, to that top drawer that, you know, is the catch-all for everything, and she decided to clean it. And as she went through it, she found a stack of lists that the first husband had given her. And, you know, she loved cleaning the house, and she loved doing all the stuff. And she looked at this list, and she realized with this second guy, she was all doing all those lists that the other guy wanted. But she really enjoyed doing them, and she didn't know she was doing them, because she really felt the love of the second guy. 
You see, that's what it is with our Lord. When you know he loves you and he died for you, the Lord is no longer an oppressor, but it gives us joy to do them without even thinking about it because we love our Lord. And that's what Jesus is saying today. That the word has never changed and will never change. It will last forever. But the way our heart perceives it comes from joy because of our relationship with Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you today for the word. And that it doesn't change. And that, Lord, we are so grateful for it. We thank you for the law that drove us to see our need for you, Christ, and that we have come to know you as our Lord and Savior, and you've forgiven us and we can live in joy. And that we don't see your commands as demanding and burdensome, but they're a joy. Because our hearts are your hearts. They reflect your joy and your righteousness. Help us, Lord Jesus, as we walk through this life, to live for you, Christ, and in the joy and the love that you give us to be different in a world that is so different from us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and as we Receive our benediction and we closing our closing song. Now the God of grace and of mercy and love be with you this day and forever and this week.